You could hear me? Was it recorded? I'm sure it was. So, series on generosity takes practice. It's going to take practice to be a generous person. These grandkids, they just have it in them. They have it in themselves to want what the other person wants. And we all have that. And to be a generous person is a process. It's a, it's a practice we learn. So I want you to be easy on yourself today. In the past, we have talked a lot, the church has talked a lot about money. And it's, it hasn't worked. I'm just going to be really honest. I want to rock your world this morning. I want to turn the whole message upside down because it just flat out has not worked. The average American Christian gets 2%, about $1,500 a year. The Old Testament talks about a tithe, which is 10%, and then they had all these other tithes on top of that. And then when you get to the New Testament, you find these crazy stories of people meeting Jesus, and like Zacchaeus, he's like, what does he do? He doesn't give a tenth. What's he give? He just like pours out his wall. I'm going to pay back everybody I ripped off. I want, to, I want to get restored with God. And it's like half his money is gone. And then you hear these great stories in Acts where they're selling properties. The number goes up. Doesn't go down like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. 50%. We're moved from 10% to 50%. And it doesn't work. God doesn't want your money, He wants your heart. See, we try to preach this message about money from a negative perspective. It's a withdrawal. And the minute we hear withdrawal, we're like, ah, who wants to have a withdrawal? That's a horrible sounding term, isn't it? Nobody wants a withdrawal. That's a negative. Give God a part of your wealth. And it's like, we don't know what God says about the rest of it, but as long as he gives you a part of it, you give him a part of it, then you're in good shape. God doesn't care about the portion as long as he gets his cut, is what we've taught. We've taught. And we really haven't taught a holistic perspective on money. We've looked at a perspective as we need money, we're a church, give, and we'll be taken care of. And then you guys do whatever you want with the rest. I want to start with a positive. Positive is not a withdrawal, but a deposit. God wants to make a deposit in your life, and he has. The psalm that Brooke just read to us was a psalm about abundance. Why is it that most of the psalms talk about the abundance of God? It talks about what God provides us, the riches of his favor towards us, his grace, his abundance for us to what? Enjoy. God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. And we have looked at it from a totally different perspective. And some may criticize me. I understand that. It sounds hedonistic. I read a book last week and it got me thinking. It was a book called Die With Zero. It's by a multimillionaire uh, hedonist, non-believing hedonist. So a non-Christian perspective on wealth rocked my world. Totally got me thinking completely different about money and about all that I have and all that we have. See, all truth is God's truth, and I'm going to explain to you kind of the principle of this from a biblical perspective using much of what I've learned. But here's the deal. So I, I reach out to a friend, and I'm going to talk about money. So we're going to talk about generosity and 
how God wants us to be generous and what he wants us to do with money. So I reach out to him and I say, hey, what do you, what do you think of this? And he comes back with this text and I got totally spanked, okay? So I love his criticism. I really do. I appreciate it. It pushes me. It makes me think. He doesn't just tell me what I want to hear. Sometimes he tells me what I don't want to hear. And so he said, wealth is perilous for everybody, but it's really about the kingdom. Then he sends me another longer text. Okay, I was like, okay, I get that. But then he says, rereading about your sermon series on generosity is the last thing your wealthy congregation needs to hear regarding money. They're already patting themselves on their back for their generosity. Some like me used to think that I had the gift of giving. It's just another sideways message to enjoy your comfortable lifestyle. And if you are generous with others, you can justify living in comfort and ease. How about that? I mean, that is right between the eyes. Like, don't you think? Seriously. And then he goes on to say, it's about being kingdom-minded on this earth as it is in heaven. It's so much more than about wealth and money. The most generous people I know have nothing as far as wealth. I think starting with your wealth, bigger barns, how many houses do we own, as a starting point, misses the call. Start with following Jesus, transforming your heart, walking forward by the power of the Holy Spirit in the age to come and this current age. And then he goes on, talks about that we're priests in the Holy Temple and the world encounters us and sees God's glory and on and on and on. And that's wonderful. And I totally agree with that. Just convert your heart and everything will fall into place. But here's the thing that I have learned. There is an inextricable relationship between what you own and the world. There is a link between those two things. That it's not simply saying, well, just be kingdom-minded, live for God. It's how do you use the resources that God has given you to live in the kingdom, to do as the Westminster Catechism says, to enjoy God, to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do we glorify God and enjoy God forever? Enjoy the psalm. God gives us abundance. God gives us the desires of our heart. Why? Because he wants you to enjoy. He's giving us a deposit. Now, what you do with the deposit is up to you. But God is giving you a deposit. And I want to change your way of thinking about this. That God has given you abundance for you to enjoy. How are you going to enjoy it? And that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, so here we go. So it really got me thinking, and I, you know, this may get me fired. I don't know, but uh, this is a totally different way than I've ever heard anybody talk about money. Proverbs eleven twenty four, fantastic verse. I'm actually going to memorize it, and this is the way I memorize scripture. By the way, I actually take the passage of scripture, which is this: so Proverbs eleven twenty four and twenty five says, "Generosity pr brings prosperity." So to be generous brings prosperity. Isn't that interesting? It seems, it seems antithetical, doesn't it? If you give away, how do you become prosperous? When I think of prosperity, I think of hanging on to something. Then you're prosperous. Then you have something. But the, the proverb says to be a generous person is actually to be the most prosperous person. But withholding from 
Charity brings poverty. How about that? Those who live to bless others will have blessing heaped upon them, and the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. So what I do is I take the verse, by the way, just with my scripture memory. So I take the verse, and so I take the first letter of each word, group them together, and this is just a quick way to memorize. Going from the verse down to this little code, and so it's, it's generosity brings but withholding from charity brings poverty. So G, B, P, and then W, B, W, F, C, and then B, P. Very simple, right? All I'm doing is putting together the, the first letter of each word together in phrases. And then I look at that and unbelievable generosity, generosity brings Forget that. See, it comes back. Convinced. Try it. I would encourage you this next month to memorize Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, however you memorize it. That's the way I memorize it. Okay, so where are we going to go with this? Sadly, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Sociologists have studied the impact of wealth on people. Why do the uber-rich feel so insecure why, why do they feel they have to be working and keep working and work and they feel like they don't have enough? That's what we our research discovers. Why do they feel uh, tied to their money, often not free to enjoy the life God has given them? They have not learned the secret of generosity. And that's the problem. God does not have a problem with wealth. We do. It's our problem. I grew up feeling ashamed of wealth. As a Christian, the messaging uh, was wealth is bad. Too many people don't have enough money, so you should really feel about bad about what you have. In fact, I, you know, I feel that I, I feel like I sometimes hear that message come through in some conversation. But what I'm discovering is that there is this link between what God gives us and what God expects of us. And Jesus says to be kingdom-minded is to have a plan for what he's given us. And that's what I want to talk about, a plan. What does a plan look like? I want to look at it from the perspective of a parable that was taught by Jesus. Jesus taught a lot on money. I could go to a lot of different places. Why am I going here? Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21, Jesus tells this parable. And here we go. I want you, I want you to listen to this parable. So someone in the crowd uh, said, teacher, my brother, uh, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So there's a squabble in families over inheritance. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I suspect that happens a lot more than we think. And maybe that's happened in your family, maybe it hasn't. But it, it's, it's often common, which really blows me away to think that we're getting a gift at the, at the end of our parents' lives, they're leaving behind something for the children, and then the children get into an argument about the money that they're, giving, that they're getting as a gift, totally as a gift. It makes no sense, but here we are. And so Jesus points out the fact, he says, 
who am I to, I, I don't want to be your judge. I don't even want to be your arbitrator. Then he goes, beware and put on a guard against every form of greed because there's something going on in the heart. Not even when one has abundance does his life consist of possessions. It doesn't matter how much money you have, that's not your life. It's what God gives you to enjoy your life. Then he tells a story, once upon a time, there was a very, very rich landowner, and he had a very, very productive harvest. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what should I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, what's going on? The guy's wealthy. He already has a barn. He obviously has already done well because his barn is probably full because he's got to build what? A bigger barn because he just got an abundance. So think about it. This guy is doing well. He's got a barn. He's got resources. He's got it saved up, whether there's a famine or whether he wants to retire, whatever. He's really thought this thing through. He's doing really well. And he builds a bigger barn because he just got an overflow. He just got more, and he needs to put it somewhere. Okay? That's what's going on in this passage. What is Jesus going to be upset about? Well, let's take a look. So he has no place. Then he says, this is what I will do. So he tears down the barn. He wants to build a bigger one. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods and laid up many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Ha, we always say that. We always think we're going to do that. We're always like planning that, ah, one day I'll just kick my feet up. It's going to happen one day, not this year, maybe next year, maybe the next year, maybe the next year. Maybe the next year. And we keep thinking that, don't we? And so God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What is the problem? Here's, here's not the problem. The man was rich. Jesus did not have a problem with a rich man. His problem wasn't the fact that he did well. The problem wasn't the fact that he stored up money in a barn. The problem wasn't even the fact that he wanted to enjoy some of his labors. That's all part of God's plan, to work, cultivate the land, to enjoy. God put us into a garden, didn't he? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and it wasn't a prison, it was a paradise. So I'm assuming it was pretty nice. And God wanted us to enjoy relationship and enjoy his creation and experience God in the context of a beautiful creation. That wasn't the problem. So what's this guy's problem? Here's his problem. He wanted to build a bigger barn. And why is that a problem? Why is the bigger barn the problem? That's what we have to get at. And I'm going to give you the answer. I believe the bigger barn is the problem because enough is not enough. And when we have the mentality that enough is not enough, what we do is we keep storing 
and hoarding and holding on to. And then one day, life is over and we have not, we've created no plan for all that God has given us. And that's the, the crime. That's a shame. You fool. Your life has been asked of you tonight. Before you die, the point is to have a plan for all that God has given you. That's what he's saying. Because when you have a plan, it will be the greatest antidote towards greed and hoarding and what I believe to be the mentality of scarcity. We hold on and we hold on and we need more and we keep working. This book that I read, which is crazy, Die With Zero. He basically says what we've done is we leave a lot of great experiences on the table. So what's happened is um, we, uh, we think we're going we're gonna to get to these experiences. We're going to get to these exciting things that we're going to do with our life. Or we're going to give our money away. Or we're going to give it to the kids. So we have all these things that we want to do with our money, but not yet. Because something bad could happen, or I may run out of money, or I, I don't know the end of my life. So I'm going to hold on to all that, and then at the end of my life, I'm going to die, and then everything will happen. Well, how stupid does that really sound when you really think about it? When you're dead, your plan gets executed for all the resources that God gave you now to live in his paradise now. Doesn't make any sense. It's backwards, right? I, I, it's like so clear to me. The point is don't build a bigger barn. Is not that you can't store some away. The guy had a barn. Prepare for your future. Plan. Think it through. It's building the bigger barn is a mentality that I don't have a plan. Building a bigger barn is not having a plan for the, all the resources God has given you from this point until the day you die. You figure that out because one day your life will be expected of you and he never got around to the day of eating and drinking and sitting around and enjoying or having the joy and the satisfaction of actually utilizing what God had given him for the benefit of himself, for his family, and others. And I think the objective in generosity is to learn how to develop a plan for all that God has given you for the benefit of yourself and your family and other people. And we need to learn how to do that. I think in this, this particular passage, he spent his whole life amassing wealth. And he de gets to the end of the life and he doesn't even get to enjoy the value of it or the, the, the investment of it. Do something with your resources. Spend it. Give it away. Help others. Do anything but this. Hoard it. Have a plan. Because that will counter the fear that we often live with. Proverbs 16, verse 11 says, you will show me, O Lord, the path of life. Ask God. God, you should lay it out. What is the path of my life? What's, what should be the path of my life for all that you've given to me? Ask the Lord that question. And then Ecclesiastes 
Nothing is better for a person than he or she one day should sit and eat and drink and enjoy his or her good labor from the hand of God. I mean, King Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that that's a good thing to enjoy life. But overindulgence is going to give you a stomachache. And what King Solomon learned at the end of his life was that he overindulged. And then he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the secret of life is remember in your youth the God who gives you everything. Because that puts everything in perspective. And now we're taking a concept that is seems hedonistic and we're now putting a biblical spin on it and saying, God expects you to have a plan and to execute that plan while you're alive, not when you're dead. That's the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Remember the parable of the talents in 25? The one guy has five, the other guy gets two talents, and the other guy gets one. What does the guy with five do? He invests them. He makes a return. The guy with two, he invests them and makes a return as well. And the guy with one, what does, what does that person do? Buries it. He buries it. Why does he bury it? He says, because I know you're a harsh uh, owner, landowner, and that you're very critical. And I didn't want to mess things up. He lived by fear that he wouldn't be able to deliver. So he dug a hole and put it in the ground. And when Jesus says, when, that, when the owner came back, he was angry, very angry. And the reason why he was angry is because he threw his life opportunities away. He threw it all away. And that's what God doesn't want us to do. You have a moment in time, and the next 30 days as we talk about this, I want you to be thinking about what is going to be your plan that counters the bigger barn What's your plan for all that God has given you? I want you to lay all that out. We do that. We build bigger barns. Um, we give a, a little here and a little there, but we're always waiting. Uh, Bill Perkins has a section in his book on inheritance, and he's talking about how people want to leave their money to their kids, and he says that's a great thing, but we always want to do it when we're dead, not when we're alive. Why? It's because we're too afraid to give it now because if we give it away, we may not get it back if we need it. So we better hold on to it and we better keep working and growing that. Why? Because we may not have enough. When you really sit down and look at it and you see your potential earnings and you see your growth and you lay it all out, sure, you need to leave, keep some, set some aside and have some savings and really see that uh, grow and hold on to it through your final years. But if we really want to give money to our kids, why are we waiting until we die? That's one theory. But he's challenging that, saying, why not give it when it's needed most? Oftentimes, inheritance comes far later, often when somebody really doesn't even need it. The end of their life. Or towards the end of their life as opposed to those years in which they're growing a family, putting their kids through college, whatever it is. And he says, put your money where your mouth is. See, we want to hold on to it, and it says, whatever's left, the kids can get. 
but we don't even get the joy of seeing the value of our gifts in the lives of others because we do it too late. And I want to challenge you to think about now. I got a, a text from a, a dear friend from college, and uh, she's a swimmer, and we we're both involved with crew at Cal, and, and um, she, we support her family up at Cal Berkeley uh, as a family that um, uh, ministers to college kids on, the, on that college campus. And um, she, um, she discovered she had colon cancer, went through treatment, and it's now returned. And so I'm again praying, I'm texting her, saying I'm praying for you. And then I finally said, what do you need? What are your financial needs? I haven't asked that question before, but I think where I'm at now is in the moment, live in the moment, what do people need? What should we be doing? Why, don't we, why am I not thinking more like that rather than, well, someday I'll, I'll have a plan or someday it's going to go somewhere and it's not going to be for me. And so she told me, oh, by the way, um, our friend, another college friend, Keith, um, had lung cancer. Um, last, he's been fighting it for several years. And um, he had a double lung transplant. And he survived. And Keith was a very dear friend. I've known, uh, knew Keith all four years, and then he went off to Northern California and planted a church called The River. And then I came here and we planted our church and um, but we lost touch and he got out of the ministry and started a painting company and then he went through his treatment and now he's moved he and his wife have moved from Lexington to Chicago and so he's had to quit his job shut down his company and uh, uh, now he's recovering he's been a year in Chicago recovering from um, a double lung transplant and they have a GoFundMe page and so I was reading that the last uh, yesterday just reading through all of his posts because I, I missed this whole thing. And uh, my heart just like, okay, what does he need? What's he need? I feel so much more freed up based upon a plan. And then, then I've been spending all this time thinking about my plan. So I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm actually writing, and I'm writing it all down. So I've got all these pages, and I've, I've spent hours this weekend, hours, Working through, okay, what do I need to live? So figure out how old you are, determine when you're going to die, and that's a little harder, and then how many years you have left, lay it all out, put it on a graph, all the years, maybe clump them together, like a few years at a time, and um, then underneath, determine what it is you need to live. How much money do you need? As you get older, by the way, you need less money. Because you're not going to travel. You're not going to buy a mountain bike. You're not going to go motorcycle riding. Um, you're going to probably sit home and or you're going to play pickleball. Or once you can't play pickleball anymore, you're going to go to the beach. And you're going to need a really good sofa and a TV. And that's about it. So your expenses go way down. So that's what happens. It's very discouraging. But that's basically where we're going. So the point is... Okay, so you need less, so I need more now, less later. My money's going to grow as it's invested. So you lay all that out, and you figure all that out. Here's my number. Now what am I going to do with the rest? Then you figure out what you want to give to your family, your kids. So you've got that number, and then what do you want to do with the rest? Others. Then you start laying out when you want to give that away. 
And my suggestion is you really think through a plan. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you how to spend that money. Put vacations in there. If you want to learn the banjo, go buy a banjo. That's great. And take up banjo lessons. That's fantastic. I mean, live the life that God wants you to live. But have a plan. Think it through. Work it all through. And then start putting down all the things that you want to accomplish in these years. Does that make sense? And then underneath that, how much money do I need? How much money do I want to give away in terms of family inheritance and also ministry, charities, organizations, whatever else I believe? Or even just like friends, like people who call or it's like in my situation, old college friends that are going through hard times. And begin thinking that through. And I guarantee what's going to happen in that process is it's going to free your heart up. John Wesley once said, when I have money, I get rid of it so quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. How about that? You know what my greatest fear is for the church? We're doing great. We're on track this year. We had a really bad year last year. And so it was, it was really the only year of, of 15 years that, that we did not bring in our, our budget. So we have these save, the savings. And we have a decent savings. It's not huge, but... We've got a good savings as a church. My greatest fear is that Jesus will come back and go, great job, good church. You guys are really doing a great job. But I have one question for you. What's all that money doing in the bank? What's your plan? What was your plan for that? And I want to challenge us as a church to have a plan. for It's not a lot, but it's enough. Sure, we need a safety net. But we, need, we don't need to be keeping a lot of money uh, Wondering what the future is going to be like. Living in fear. Living, wondering if the other shoe is going to drop. We need to risk. Risk is faith. And when you know the upside is prosperity, why are we not risking more? When we know the upside is what God's going to do in our lives that he's going to provide, he's going to take care of us. We have nothing to worry about. Luke chapter 12, the rest of the passage says don't worry. You people of little faith. Why are, they, why are they little faith? Because they're not living based upon kingdom principles of generosity. And so my challenge this morning is for us to really think this through. Lay it out. So lay out your life in segments, two, three, or five years. Pick an end date. Begin to be, think of the money and the experiences and put them into three categories, self, family, and others. And the next 30 days, and I want you I want you to really take some time. And maybe you need financial counseling for this. Go online. We've got financial counselors here. I mean, I'm looking at Dominic. I'm looking at George. Um, Al Smith was, there were two financial planners in our service this morning on the beach. I mean, we've got financial planners uh, uh, in our church that, that can help. But get with someone. Think it through. This is part of not building a bigger farm. The last thing we want to do is put it in the bank and forget about it until the day we die. That's not wise. That's not what God wants us to do. So how are we going to be changed people to be more generous? Begin to develop a plan. Safekeeping is not the same thing as a safety net. Let's pray. 
So, Lord, here we go. We are going to trust you as a church. We want to be um, generous with all that you've given to us to enjoy, to truly enjoy what you've given and have the great fulfillment and enjoyment of watching others receive from our resources. Would you, Father, uh, enlighten us? Would you, would, you, would you rock our world? Would you turn us upside down and give us a whole new perspective so that we, we literally, our eyes, our, our eyes open and we just say, oh my goodness, I feel so free. I'm ready to do what you've called me to do, to live a generous life in Jesus' name. I'm not going to preach another sermon here, but I can't help but think about Mary as we're talking about um, generosity and that moment where right before Jesus leads into communion, the very first communion, Mary, do you remember what she does with her perfume? She breaks the whole jar and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. And everyone gets all riled up in that moment. Why are you wasting? You could have, do you remember what they asked her? You could have given this money to the poor. That's what they say. You could have given this money to the poor. But Mary had this kingdom mindset. Jesus is right before me. I see this moment with him and I'm going all in with it. I'm going all in with everything I have, my most costly possession, this full jar of perfume. And I think that's what it comes down to. So I'm so grateful for, um, for your words, Dad, and just this reminder that the Lord is inviting us to use what he's given us for the kingdom. How can we have a kingdom mindset? And so as we uh, take communion, I think the elements are going around. Um, I'm going to read Jesus's words that come right after this encounter with Mary. Jesus looks at his disciples in Matthew 26 while they're eating, and he takes the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is always pointing back to the kingdom. The kingdom, that's where we're going. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's where you're going with me. Don't forget about what's coming and have that mindset as you live now and partake now with me. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we take the bread now, representing the body of Christ, and we drink the juice, representing his blood and his sacrifice, his ultimate gift of generosity to us that enables us to partake in that kingdom to come. So, Father, thank you so much for your gift. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the most 
abundant picture of generosity that we could ever imagine, Lord. In your death and your resurrection, that brings us new life. New life that we experience now and for all of eternity with you. Lord, I pray that, um, I know talking about money just is really triggering (laughs) for a lot of people. And it brings up all these weird little things. I pray that we would just be able to take a moment now and just acknowledge them in your presence. Why do I feel that way? Where did that come from? Where did that start? And how might you desire to bring healing or restoration or redemption to that in my life right now? Lord, I pray that as we continue this conversation about generosity at the river, that that's what would happen. That would, that would be true for each of us, Lord. That those little things that come up when we're like, oh, I just don't want to go there. Talking about money feels uncomfortable or I was hurt or I was wronged or it wasn't fair or I'm anxious. I pray that we would bring those things before you, Lord. Holding nothing back and that you would do a work in our hearts. That this would be a time for healing. Shift our perspective. Open our eyes. That we might see the world see our gifts the way that you see them as an invitation to experience your abundance and to prepare for what is to come for this place of even greater abundance abundance beyond our imagination heaven Thank you so much, Lord. We are so humbled, grateful. Thank you for your history of faithfulness in our lives, Lord. We just close our our time now, Father, with just words of praise on your lips, telling of your acts of your faithfulness of all the times and moments that you carried us. We just reflect on that now. Exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power 
of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So we do that today, Lord. Can you stand with me as we finish with the worship song? I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days, I've been held in your from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God.
seen your goodness is running after me one last time. Lord, would you give us faith to see it this morning? That it truly is your heart and your intention to meet us with goodness, to meet us with love and mercy and grace. Let's sing this together. Your goodness is running. Your goodness is running after me, running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendering up. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. So all my life, one last time. Lord, we ask that you would make that our heart posture, that we would move forward in the goodness of God, that we would know that that is who you are. And out of that place, God, we would trust you. So we love you, God. We worship you. Would you guide us and teach us? See you guys next week.